For great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts, the TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Mark Morano is unleashed, and he's taking on the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, and the United Nations on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. TNT. Welcome to the Mark Morano Show, Unleashed, there with Mark Morano on TNT. All right. Well, I have been just wall to wall doing TV, radio, writing, researching, all wrapping up finally this COP28 meeting in Dubai, United Nations, which I spent all last week at. And I think tomorrow I'll have some clips of me there. I did some interviews and I'll show you some of the uh, some of the uh, just grandeur of the surroundings and the beauty of Dubai. But more importantly was what was what happened there. And uh, I was on after uh, I showed some clips yesterday, but then I was on uh, Stuart Varney's show yesterday. I was on the Fox Business Channel. Then I was on Laura Ingram primetime. Then I was on Fox and Friends on Fox News this morning, all doing, although the Fox and Friends was actually on a couple of different issues, which I'll show you tomorrow. It gets us outside the scope of the COP28, some weird stuff happening with nature rights, uh, suing of land land having legal rights, rivers having legal rights, trees having legal rights, uh, attaining the status of personhood in the courts. But all these other shows, I mean, there's just a hunger out there to find out what really happened. And I'll go through some of the pros and cons of the different analysis of what really happened. I mean, there is like some minutia about this whole meeting and what it means to you in your life. But none of it's good at the moment because there's just no one pushing back. Uh, so I think I'm going to go with I'm going to show you the first clip, which was on Fox Business News, The Bottom Line, with Sean Duffy and Dagan McDowell. Uh, this was this will be the fossil fuel clip where I'm talking about what was actually uh, done and the absurdity of this COP meeting. So let's roll tape. Join us now, ClimateDepot.com Executive Editor Mark Morano, who was at the summit earlier this month. Mark, good to see you as always. Um, love that you were there bringing a little bit of truth to power. Um, at COP28. But here's my, I'm just going to speak honestly as an American. I'm really concerned. You have these crazy Looney Tune nut jobs that want to rid the world of fossil fuels. I can't imagine what that looks like. And I think it's going to happen because there's really no pushback. There's no organization to say, hey, there's a better, different way. These, these elitist thugs are going to win. Am I wrong? How do we stop them? Well, there's a lot of ways to try to stop them. But okay, first of all, I love the way you did the cartoons of Carrie and Gore with the little statements. Looks like you're reading a comic book. That's exactly the level of understanding and common sense that they're applying at this UN climate summit. First point I want to make is failure of a UN climate summit is good news. That's why yes. I brought a celebratory cigar. Let's celebrate the little victories, and this is a good thing. In terms of how you beat this, this was completely bonkers. I spent a week there. I just got back over the weekend in Dubai at this summit. It opened with Kamala Harris pledging billions to the UN Climate Fund in order for world leaders to keep other the poor nations poor, not so they, they can't develop. Then Gore and Kerry come up and talk about phase out of coal and gas. Then China starts talking about replacing all fossil fuels with renewables. So China is involved trying to get us more dependent upon them. Then the UN does a fashion show, multiple sustainable clothing events, and they defend the idea of three new items of clothing per year per person. Let's say it out loud. 
Net zero is a Soviet-style central planning technique that has to be roundly defeated. We need Republican leadership. We need the House Speaker. We need Mitch McConnell. We need them to do sense of the Senate, sense of Congress, votes to, to literally declare this an anti-human agenda. It's one of the greatest farces that ever come from the United Nations. Basically, the idea that the UN is going to act as though they can control the dial of the Earth and control the temperature by crushing human energy and development. And that was, you know, that was my summation, uh, basically, and that's the, the simplest summation of that entire summit. The idea that 190 countries have sit there at a table at a conference room in Dubai at any UN, this was COP28, and I know that might sound uh, you know, like a strange name, but it's Conference of Parties from the UN Climate Summit stemming from the Rio Earth Summit setting up the whole structure. We had a Republican president. Remember, George H.W. Bush signed us up for this whole mess in 1992 when he went to the Rio Earth Summit, signed the UN Sustainable Development Treaty, gave us Agenda 21, Sustainable Development uh, when I say us, I mean the United States. And that, of course, led to this whole, that whole treaty process down in Brazil, in Rio in 1992, led to this whole COP process, conference of parties that were going to meet to save the planet. And I think you know the, the key here is this is madness. And I think the opening of that is they said, how do we stop it? And I said, well, there's a lot of ways we can get into later. Well, let me get into that for just for a moment. The number one thing we need to stop net zero, the UN climate influence, the Green New Deal, is we need people willing to take the heat, so to speak, and push back on the agenda and just scream it out loud. There's no climate emergency. CO2 is not the control knob of the climate. And even if it was, everything the United Nations has proposed, everything the Green New Deal has proposed is the exact opposite of how you'd actually want to deal with a man-made climate crisis if, in fact, you had one, which we don't. But if you had one, you would want to basically increase wealth, prosperity, have technological innovation. You would want free markets. You would want to lift people out of the dire poverty they're in so they could handle whatever Mother Earth throws at them. And you could also improve technology. The last thing you would want are mid-level United Nations bureaucrats and, and other bureaucrats through all these executive agencies throughout the EU, the United States, Australia, New Zealand, dictating everything down to how many hamburgers you can have, as CNN argued, the, the carbon passports and the travel to keep monitoring of your limits on flights, the banning of flights like France has started and the EU is looking at, going after pizza, uh, pizza made in uh, wood stove ovens because of the carbon footprint going after thermostat controls. I mean, you just, it goes on and on. Now the latest, I was on Fox and Friends this morning talking about the uh, the putting people in jail if they continue to, in violation of now the law, use gas lawnmowers, gas leaf blowers, because they're banning those to reduce the carbon footprint of those tools and forcing everyone to go to very expensive inefficient, impractical, electric leaf blowers and lawnmowers. And you know, maybe they'll be good one day, but as of right now, they're very expensive and that's gonna crush small businesses. So the point is, if we did face a climate emergency, you'd wanna do the opposite of what the UN is proposing. And that's the bottom line because nothing the UN is proposing is gonna have any impact on global CO2 emissions, let alone the climate. And it all, even if it ever theoretically could actually impact CO2 emissions, it would depend on India and China and Malaysia and Vietnam and South America and the emerging countries in Africa if they're allowed to develop. 
because they need their industrial revolution. And China, of course, is almost completing theirs, and India is in the middle of theirs, but Africa is far away from their industrial revolution, but they need it. So that is the bottom line when this whole UN, this whole UN confab is this is insane virtue signaling. It's not about the climate. Odomar Edenhofer in 2010, a, a mid-level IPCC, well, actually a high-level IPCC bureaucrat, actually did an interview where he said, this is not about environmental policy. This has almost nothing to do with environmental policy. This is about redistributing wealth by climate policy and by basically remaking the world's economy in their image. Now, you might say, what image is that? Well, who is UN Secretary General? Antonio Gutierrez. I like to say that with emphasis. He's from Portugal, and he's the former president of Socialist International. And this is the guy Joe Biden will say, yeah, the, the, the chief scientist of the UN says that we're in a climate, that we have global boiling. No, the secretary general, who's the former president of Socialist International, who's trying to push people into a, uh, you know, with fear into a economic system they would never otherwise accept, is calling it global boiling and telling us we have a climate emergency. That's what the UN is completely up to. All right, clip two. This was on Stuart Varney, Varney and Company on Fox News. Very good. Varney is right on top of this. Uh, this is clip two. This was my message to Fox, uh, Fox News' Stuart Varney. But here's the thing, Stuart. If you look at this on any timescale, this is a insane goal. It's an insane meeting. Net zero is nothing short of Soviet-style central planning that will have no good for humanity. A hundred years ago, 80% of global and U.S. energy came from fossil fuels. Today, 80% of global and U.S. energy comes from fossil fuels. For them now to come out with these targets of 2030, a tripling of renewable... It's just not realistic. It's insane. And I think it's time we change the narrative. We have to say hell no to this whole idea of net zero. This has to well, be stopped. And unfortunately, everyone's doubling down uh, on it. No, a lot of people are saying that this has got to be stopped. Second case here. Al sure. Gore blames the mental health crisis on climate change. <laughs> yes. He does. Okay, just watch it in his own words. Roll tape. Sure. There's a mental health crisis around the world, Jake, that we hear people talking about. I think that one of the main reasons for that uh, is that young people look uh, at the fact that we are not yet solving the climate crisis. All right, Mark, have at it. What do you think to that? Well, to the, he's right to the extent that young people are worried. There's actually reports of psychiatric counseling. We have young kids, uh, 18 young kids, some as young as eight years old, in a lawsuit against the EPA for violating their right to life and ordered liberty. And they're saying kids now can't do their homework during the day. They have to wait till the evening and it cools off. They can't focus on school. This is insane. To the extent that there's a psychological problem, it's called indoctrination from kindergarten through college. That's how young people are being indoctrinated with with baseless fears that the earth is going to end unless the United Nations come up, comes up with some meaningless document that says they're going to save the earth. This is modern witchcraft, and Al Gore is promoting the idea and scaring even more kids. And people like Greta Thunberg have also done their role. She's okay. actually said, why go to school when we have no future? So <laughs> that's the problem, is the baseless fear has caused the psychological, not climate. Mark Marano, you got it all in there. We'll see you again soon for the Climate <laughs> Depot. Thanks, man. Yes, uh, he's right. I did get it all in there. You know, I'm all, I always feel as though I, I've got to get all my points in on the show. I hope I don't filibuster. I did work for in the U.S. Senate Environment and Public Works Committee. So the senators are famous for filibustering. Maybe I pick that up. So 
Uh, one of the things I got to work on maybe with these TV, maybe I should try to less filibustering and go back with more interaction. But I find if you um, if you cut everything short, they'll end up, they'll end up cutting the segment short. So I, I have to, it's a little area I have to work on and just figure out, the, find that sweet spot. But that, I thought that was a great interview. I really enjoyed it. And I think that part about Al Gore uh, coming out with the psychology of the students, and I talked about this a couple of days ago on the show, and I'm going to ask, by the way, our guest is going to be Princeton physicist, Dr. Will Happer, climate skeptic, former Trump administration official, uh, former Trump science advisor. And, and he is I'm gonna, he's on 200 peer-reviewed studies, considered one of the experts on the greenhouse gas effect. I'm going to ask him about this lawsuit. I'm going to read him some of the testimonials. We're going to have some fun with that. But for Al Gore to come out and actually say, look, climate's bad because young people are, you know, look, it's so bad that young people are having problems. President Obama's talked about his daughters, I guess, Sasha and Malia and their friends. And they were like, basically like, what's the point of, you know, getting a job, education, you know, we're not going to have a future due to the climate crisis. And I have no doubt these kids actually believe this, but it's incredible because Obama's answer, when he did this interview, this was about six months ago, Obama's answer, pr former President Obama's answer to his daughter, as he relayed it, was, well, then what are you going to do about it? You need to get out there and fight. In other words, don't be despair about your future. Go out and fight for a climate solution. Like, I'm sorry, what? How about go out and live your life and actually do a just a tiny bit of research into the people who are telling you that the earth is going to end? And look at the history of doomsday earth uh, predictions going back centuries and take a look at your street corner preacher with their doomsday predictions. Find out if anyone has ever been correct on these doomsday predictions. And then actually have a little perspective, do a little research. But instead, Obama told him basically, go out and seek Marxist solutions to save the climate, and then you'll have a future. And that's basically what these kids in the lawsuit are doing. Notice they're suing the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, which is an unelected bureaucracy appointed by the president and you know, full of unelected bureaucrats. They're the ones they're suing so that they can implement it. Notice they're not suing Congress, the U.S. Congress, for passing res uh, legislation because they don't care about no stinking legislation anymore. They just care about imposing their anxiety upon us and the world. So that's what that's what's that's what's uh, been going on. So I have uh, I'm gonna in tomorrow's show I'm gonna be playing you some more clips of that. And uh, we're also going to have uh, Steve Gorham on tomorrow's show who's scheduled, and I think you're going to enjoy him. He's got some books. He's going to delve into the just the energy absurdity and some of the more scientific claims. But when we come back here on uh, Unleashed with Mark Morano, we should be joined by um, Dr. Will Happer, former presidential science advisor and Princeton physicist. He's the uh, chairman of the, of the Philly with the CO2 Coalition, a great group. Greg Wrightstone has been on my show before here on TNT Radio as well. Uh, he runs it, and uh, Will Happer is going to give you the lowdown on the science of climate. And I'm going to I'm going to hit him with questions about the lawsuit. I'm going to hit him with questions about methane and meat eating. Uh, so we'll be right back after these messages. TNT Radio's Chris Smith. Despite being used to protect travellers from terrorists, hijackers or violent drunks or those who were drugged out as they board, and this has been going on since 1961, they won't be around this Thanksgiving. None of them. Air marshals were always meant to be invisible. Well, you can guarantee that this Thanksgiving. Ironically, the Biden administration has been hijacking air marshals for all kinds of other duties, leaving the passengers they were meant to 
guard and protect completely helpless. Air marshals have been lumbered with assisting the chaos on the southern border. They might be called air marshals, but an unknown number are now seconded to work on the ground. Maybe they're ground marshals now, marshalling illegal immigrants on the border and doing the job supposedly meant for the United States Customs and Border Protection. Where are they? Chris Smith on TNT Radio. My baby's back from the West Coast. (laughs) Hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project? First day of school, cute as a button. (laughs) So long ago. Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those beans smell heavenly. Mm-hmm. Give mom a little credit. You know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, that's great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to the Mark Morano Show on, uh, on TNT Radio Unleashed. Well, we are joined now by Princeton physicist Dr. Will Happer of the CO2 Coalition, former presidential science advisor. Uh, and also, just to add a personal note, he was... Uh, when I was working in the United States Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, I believe it was 2009, uh, Dr. Happer came and testified toward the, to the U.S. Senate, and I believe he was there the same day as Dr. Regenda Pachari, the IPCC chair, and he and uh, Dr. Happer and uh, Barbara Boxer, who's now retired from California, they had a back and forth about CO2 levels in the history of the Earth, and of course, Dr. Happer, if you recall, you had said at the time during your hearing that, that we were in a, currently the Earth is in a CO2 famine and that we've never had basically CO2 this low or is one of the lowest points in, in history. And Barbara Boxer uh, was not having that. She was really beside herself. Do you recall that? Do you have any, any memories yes, of that? Yes, uh, I that remember. Uh, she certainly <laughs> was unhappy. <laughs> but, but it was all true. <laughs> well, thank you for joining the program today. All right. So uh, tell us a little bit about your background first. How did you even come to the climate issue? Like, you know, 30 years ago, were you, were you worried about climate change? 20 years ago? Did you ever have any time in your career as a physicist at Princeton where you ever were worried about climate change? Or were you always skeptical even before you started examining it closer? Well, I really in my early career as a scientist didn't pay very much attention to climate. You know, I knew that climate changed all the time. I grew up in a rural area and people who have that experience are usually much less worried about climate than you know, suburbanites or urban <laughs> folks. But I got yes. interested in it in the early 90s when I was the uh, director of energy research at the Department of Energy. And so I had all of the uh, non-weapons uh, basic research of the Department of Energy, a very large budget. Uh, yeah. I don't know, it was $3.5 billion at the time, and a billion dollars was worth more then than it is today. And so among other areas of research, uh, we were funding work on climate and uh, 
I wanted to be sure I understood all of them at least superficially. And so I would have a researcher come in once a week and tell me about what they were doing. So someone would come in from Fermi Lab and tell me about the search for the top fork, or someone would come from some deep drilling work we were doing and tell me about, you know, the search for deep life, you know, 10,000 feet underground and, uh, or we were working on the human genome then, and someone would tell me about the latest gene sequencing. And so I, I found that very useful. And most of the people we invited were very happy that some Washington bureaucrat was interested in what they were doing. Of course, they were hoping they'd get more money next year. <laughs> yes. And if they gave a good talk, we did give them more money. But when we would ask anyone from climate to come in, you know, the reaction was completely different. You know, why are you asking me? Don't you trust what I'm doing? You know, you know, <laughs> I don't, you know, I work for Senator Gore, you know, uh, you know, uh, not for you. And well, I would tell them, well, if that's the way you feel, that, that's fine. You know, uh, uh, we're paying you this year, but we can use your money next year for someone else. And so they would always grudgingly come and then they would give a very, strange seminar, you know, they wouldn't ask or answer questions, you know, it was clearly different from any other science that we were supporting. So I guess that's what really uh, opened my eyes that we've got a problem here that uh, I'm not sure how to fix. And I didn't have time to do very much because uh, Clinton and Gore won the next election. And uh, so Gore couldn't wait to find me and fire me. It's kind of interesting to see how the government work. It took him uh, two or three months to find out where I was in the org chart so I could be fired. <laughs> and they got rid of you they, quick. Okay. They finally found me. Uh, I was glad to come home. It was it was uh, a, a favor for, for me, actually. So I'm, I have a lot of gratitude to Senator Gore for getting me out of there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about just this climate issue broadly for a minute, and then we'll move to like the UN summit wow. and some more specifics. We're told by the UN Secretary General that we're experiencing global boiling, that the earth is at a basically a tipping point. Al Gore has chimed in on this. John Kerry, they had this big meeting. What is the state of the climate? Are we are literally in apocalyptic end times? And can a UN treaty limit the Earth's temperature to 1.5 C uh, degrees, I believe, over the next 100 years. Uh, how, how does the UN go about controlling temperatures 100 years from now? Well, Mark, you know, these are rhetorical <laughs> questions. <laughs> of course, you know, you, you can't pass a law and, and uh, make the climate do whatever you demand. Climate is always changing, you know, just from personal experience, I was telling you that if you have a rural background, you know that perfectly well. Yes. And uh, it uh, will continue to change. And uh, greenhouse gases, which are the uh, focus of this jihad, are uh, indeed uh, will cause a little bit of warming, but it's very small. And so the small amount of warming that you can possibly get from CO2 or methane and these other greenhouse gases doesn't matter compared to the much larger natural fluctuations that happen all the time. You know, I think most people remember that in the year 1100, there were Norse settlements in the south of Greenland, you know, on, on the southwest coast. and. 
they flourished, you know, they grew barley and they had cattle and they shipped uh, wool and, and sheep back to Iceland and Norway. You can't do that today. Uh, it was much warmer. Nobody really understands what happened. And then, of course, it cooled off and eventually it froze them out. None of that had anything to do with burning fossil fuels, but it was much bigger than anything that we're seeing today. So I, my, my own view is that, yes, greenhouse gases cause some warming, but not very much. And at the same time, the most important, uh, except for water vapor, which is the number one, but the second most important is CO2. Which it's very good for life on Earth. That's what upset Mrs. Boxer so much was yeah. that um, she didn't like to hear that CO2 was actually making things better for life on Earth. But that's the truth, you know. And you can see that very clearly from NASA satellite records. The Earth is greening, and it's because of CO2. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I guess we'll call him scientist. Michael Mann, he used to be at Penn State. He's now University of Pennsylvania. I think he's now in the communication department. But he has said, if you want to know what, how global warming is doing, look out your window and you'll see it. And he's pointing to all the extreme weather that we're allegedly having from hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, droughts, wildfires. Is he right? When you look out your window, do you see climate change? Do you see man-made climate change? Because that's what he's referring to. Well, Mark, of course not. I mean, <laughs> what you need to look at are the uh, records. And you, you, nothing is changing. A hurricane intensity is about the same as it's always been. Maybe it's a little bit less. Tornadoes the same way. You know, there is a lot more... Uh, climate-related damage just because of the stupidity of zoning, you know, people build <laughs> expensive homes right in the paths of hurricanes. And so naturally, when you tear down a fancy home instead of a little shack, you, you have bigger uh, losses. So uh, it, it's, there's a lot of just complete nonsense, and, but amazingly, lots of people buy it, you know. <laughs> I, uh, I, I think um, it would help most people to uh, go and spend a year or two, you know, out on a farm, you know, uh, exposed to the weather, you know, just seeing how unpredictable life really is and always has been, you know, as, as a result of the weather. But there's nothing changing. It's been this way forever. <laughs> well, also, Michael Mann also said, I think it was in CNN, I just saw the interview today, he likened carbon dioxide uh, and fossil fuels to a man who's been diagnosed with diabetes saying, you know, and the doctor saying you have to get off donuts and the guys and the, and the patient's like, well, I'll, I'll think about getting off donuts someday. And he's saying that we have to get off donuts immediately for your health. And he's saying we have to get off fossil fuels because of the CO2 impact. Um, how would you analogize this? In other words, I know humans, we inhale oxygen, we exhale carbon dioxide. But is CO2 a pollutant? Because we'll hear that over and over. Or is it in the case Michael Mann is implying it's a junk food? You know, it's a donut. It's non-nutritional. It's, it's something you don't, you're, you don't need. The system doesn't need. How important is CO2 uh, in the atmosphere? Well, see, look, Mark, CO, you know this perfectly. Well, CO2 is the basis of all life. We're made of carbon. You know, when people talk about carbon pollution, I'm just baffled when I was younger People like to talk about organic chemistry. Well, that was the chemistry of life, and it was the chemistry of carbon, you know, and organic molecules. So you're made of carbon. I'm made of carbon. 
we exhale a lot of CO2, roughly two pounds a day, each of us, you know, eight billion people in the world. So, you know, people by themselves are a non-trivial fraction of what's emitted by fossil fuels. And if you add all the living things on Earth, it grossly exceeds the amount of CO2 that's being emitted from burning oil and coal. Uh, but CO2 levels are going up and uh, that is good. You know, uh, you look around the earth, everything is getting greener and that's because of more CO2. So there's absolutely no downside to this. This is all gain, no pain, right? So, Well, the, you know, the media would like to smear someone like you as a climate denier. Uh, what do you make of that phrase? How does that make, what do, you, what do you think they mean by that? And why is that a label that they always try to stick on anyone who dissents? Well, you know, if you're trying to uh, argue some point and, uh, you know, the facts are not on your side and uh, everything else is against you, then you always turn to smear, you know, it's an ancient <laughs> tactic. And so there's nothing surprising about that. It's done all the time. But it's organized now against anyone who questions the narrative of the climate. And, um, you know, it's it's disgraceful that they do it, but there's not much I can do about it. We, we're a free country. You can say what you like, no matter how stupid it is. All right, the other thing we'll hear is that you must be, you know, one of the half a dozen scientists who don't believe this because 97%, Al Gore says 99% of all scientists agree, Obama, President Obama, originally said, you know, all scientists agree global warming is real and dangerous. How do you respond to that? Are you just the 1%, uh, you know, the anomaly or, or, or is, uh, you know, is there truly a 97% consensus? No, I mean, this 97% consensus, it's, it's, it's another one of these fabrications of this, uh, of this movement. You know, I, I yeah. sometimes only half joking say it's some combination of a religious cult and organized crime. And I, I'm not which, sure which of those has put this out, but it, it's complete nonsense. And you can see many deconstructions of this 97% figure. It, it's uh, completely phony. Uh, there are thousands and thousands of climate, uh, people who know a lot about climate yeah. more than I do, who, who are just outraged at what has happened to a once uh, important and, and vibrant field. It's been, uh, I've said it, it's a little bit like Gresham's law, you know, it, uh, you know, the, uh, the CO2 version of climate has now overtaken a once uh, admirable field. And uh, I think it will recover someday, but it certainly had a lot of damage done to it by this uh, cult. Yeah, and the cult's a good word. Uh, what about uh, the kids in psychology? Al Gore just said, and there've been many Washington Post has been promoting this. Kids have such climate anxiety. I was just mentioning uh, in the intro. President Obama said his own daughters have friends who don't even want to get jobs and go to school because they think there's no point. Greta Thunberg said, "What's the point of kids going to school when they have no future due to climate change?" And a lot of them have eco anxiety, climate anxiety. What's causing that? Is the climate actually causing it or is this their education system and you know the media causing that? Well, I think it's a little bit like, uh, you know, the fear of witches. You know, if you look back at the Salem <laughs> witch trials, the uh, all the main accusers were, you know, roughly Greta Thunberg's age, a little bit <laughs> younger. And uh, 
they were all very sincere and you know how could you uh how could you doubt this adorable young woman you know who saw witches every which away and uh and uh, they too you know were afraid you know they were afraid to go to bed you know they're afraid to have children so this sort of thing has gone on forever and it, it's continuing to go on and of course it was uh not completely spontaneous it was uh organized and encouraged by adults and uh so that again is is happening we see children being used to uh promote this phony uh crisis which really isn't there what's the poor child supposed to do they don't have the background they don't have the education to really understand they're being used it's happened before, you know, the Children's Crusade, when they sent all these poor children from Germany and France off to save the True Cross, you know, most of them died. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think you you pointed out, like, the, 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 the witch trials, I believe it was in Salem and throughout Massachusetts, they were decided by who? Who, who were the judges in these cases? Were, were these just uneducated rubes who were doing this uh, superstitious or who who was actually behind this and actually condemning no, no, these women? over over half of the judges had harvard degrees you know so harvard's uh, still up to this sort of thing today as we see in the news <laughs> and uh you know the chief instigator cotton mather is still a saint at harvard you know the great cotton mather but uh one of the most uh, nauseating episodes was when they were about to hang George Burroughs. George Burroughs uh, didn't have a Harvard degree, but he was a preacher in Salem. And, you know, his congregation loved him and they didn't really like seeing him hanged. And the scene was pretty ugly at the public hanging. It might be that the hangman himself could get hanged, uh, you know, by the congregation. But Cotton Mather came rushing over from Harvard on his horse and waving his sword and waving the Bible and stood up and told the hangman, don't, don't, don't be intimidated. Pull the trap door, kill him, kill him, hang him. So they did. And wow. uh, so that that's, uh, you should read about that, you know, and uh, we see the same attitude today from, unfortunately, uh, lots of academia, uh, it gets yeah, worse. Well, you get more elite, you know. <laughs> well, I remember it was a researcher named Emily Oster who did a study about the medieval times and temperature, and accusations of witchcraft would go up during the coldest periods. I guess because of crop failure and food right. shortages and the harsh right. weather. So there was, you know, there was that. So it's like a, I guess you talked before about mass delusion, mass hysteria. What comes over? a population when people like you know especially you know we're seeing this with a lot of the youth movement there's a, a sort of a doomsday cult you mentioned the word cult what's the historical reference for that to sort of the mass hysteria well one of the best references which i highly recommend is this book by charles mckay you know extraordinary popular delusions and the madness of crowds you can buy it from yeah. amazon or many other places it was written in 1840 or 42 or something like that so it's been around for a long time but it describes many many uh events like the one we're living through with the climate craze you know there was the um uh, crusades there was the dutch tulip mania there was the 
South Sea Island. I'm talking about things that had happened before 1840, but they were very similar to what's happening today. And uh, so it, it, people get caught up in these things and uh, they're very hard to stop. Mackay said, it's been rightly said that, you know, men think in herds, they go mad in herds and they only <laughs> <laughs> regain their senses slowly and one by one. And so that's what's happened. You know, lots of people have gone mad together as has happened many times in the past. And uh, it's going to be very hard to stop. It was always hard to stop. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you specifically more about this UN treaty and also about the 200 medical journals urging climate as a public health emergency. So we're talking with Dr. Will Happer, Princeton University, also of the CO2 Coalition, former presidential science advisor, former Department of Energy scientist. We'll be right back. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT Radio. Stay tuned. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Stop letting leftists set the agenda. Stop letting them turn nothing burgers into the most pressing issues of the day. Stop letting them use words like inclusion, equity, fairness, and diversity as cudgels to beat you into submission. Stop bowing, stop scraping, stop bending the knee, and stop giving them what they desire, an abject apology, assuring them that they'll get their way and everything will be fine. Because it won't be fine. That won't be the last complaint. Every time you submit to them, you encourage them. You give them more fuel for their next attack. And it will go on for decades. The Onondaga Nation complained to Syracuse University about the Saltine Warrior mascot in 1978. And here we are, 45 years later, the Onondaga Nation is complaining to Liverpool High School about using Warriors as their athletic mascot. For 45 years it was fine, but now all of a sudden in 2023 it's not. Stop giving in to this culture of destruction. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care. And they also help kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at MDA.org today. Unleashing the Beast. Mark Morano is unleashed on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. Mark Morano here with Unleashed on TNT Radio. Well, we're here with Dr. Will Happer, Princeton University physicist and uh, head of the CO2 Coalition. Uh, Dr. Happer, I wanted to ask you about this kid lawsuit. This was uh, the most recent, and there's many of these lawsuits that have been going on, but essentially this is in the state of California. 18 kids, some as young as eight years old, 
are suing the EPA over climate change, and they're suing it for disregarding climate change, which has, quote, led to the destabilizing, which has led to destabilizing the very foundation and ordered liberty of children's lives. Uh, so my first question is, is climate change destabilizing these kids' lives, and is it affecting their ordered liberty? And I'll give you a couple of case examples in the study, which is fascinating. Read. Uh, what's your comment on that? First of all, that eight-year-olds are suing the EPA and unelected bureaucracy to fix the climate. Well, we just talked about the uh, medieval children's crusade, and this is a similar <laughs> sort of thing. It's organized by. Uh, you know, really uh, disgraceful people who are using children as tools. And of course, their lives have been uh, ruined in many cases, not by climate. The climate is not doing anything unusual, but, you know, they're subject from, you know, from infancy to propaganda. So all they hear are these horror stories and they don't realize that it's all nonsense. And so, of course, they've been badly affected but it's not by the climate. <laughs> All right, well, let me read you the actual thought. This is an actual, in the case, maybe this will change your mind. Uh, 18 children between the age of eight and 17, they have they, their lead plaintiff is someone named Genesis, a 17-year-old girl in California, I believe it's Longport, California, whose parents can't afford air conditioning. And she says in the suit that she often has to wait for the sun to go down at night before she can con concentrate enough to do her homework. Uh, and what do you think of that? I mean, that's pretty solid evidence, a man-made climate emergency. She can't do her homework during the day, too hot to concentrate. Her parents can't afford air conditioning. She has to wait till the evening. Are you willing to rescind your previous statement now that you've heard the facts? Well, <laughs> Sorry, couldn't keep a straight hard. face with that I mean, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> California, except for uh, you know a few lucky locations is a desert you know it's uh <laughs> and it's always been hot and you know sort of the maximum heat records i think in the world were set in in death valley you know nearly 100 years ago and uh so of course it's hot and uh it's always been hot it hasn't changed it was it was hotter you know when these maximum temperature record was recorded i think it was around 1900 i don't remember the exact date but but uh, uh, that, you know, her parents uh, should get an air conditioner. I don't know what they're spending their money on, but, you know, your daughter's education is very important. Maybe you shouldn't get so many beers or, you know, a, a new <laughs> car or whatever you're buying. But, you know, look after your children. <laughs> well, what's interesting, too, about that, well, Dr. Haber, is they literally have uh, the climate agenda is a war against air conditioning. The Biden administration, John Kerry, making it more expensive, adding more regulations. The own L.A. Times wants people not to use air conditioners in their home and wants you, they want you to go to public cooling centers where public transport would pick you up during the hottest hours of the day. Uh -huh. The Washington Post has basically said we're spoiled. We don't need air conditioning. In Spain, they have strict limits on where you can set your thermostat for businesses during the day in the heat of the hot of the heat of the summer. So I find that ironic that they're complaining about the lack of air conditioning but at the same time they're pushing for more restrictions on air conditioning um okay well, well that was Mark, how, how much uh air conditioning did you encounter when you were at the cop meeting a cop meeting was a lot that was on the desert and uh, by the way i just wanted to say that great choice for a u.n summit because they 
it was reminding me of my image of the say 1950s uh you know development in america and economic growth this is a country united arab emirates and a city dubai that just embraced unbridled development without any didn't seem like they had any ugly architecture they didn't have homeless encampments with tents they didn't have open-air drug markets there's no crime there was no graffiti now you could argue it might be a, a you know authoritarian government to some extent especially with free speech and other things but wow they 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 embrace fossil fuel development in that city and even their own um the cop president sultan al-jabbar actually said and you would you would agree with this I, he said that there was no science to back up the un claims of 1.5 degrees celsius and he said we'd all be living in caves if we listened to the un agenda right, and right. then of course he was forced to back down from that which is what i want to ask you right now this is a guy from the sultan part of the oil industry there why does even Arab countries that are dependent on fossil fuels bow to this UN agenda? They had to backtrack. His spokesman came out. He sort of apologized, distanced himself. How do they get 190 nations to sign off on this drivel about transitioning? Where does that, is it just that same social pressure that everyone knows and understands? No one wants to be an outlier. No one wants to be a dissenter. How does that work? Yeah, I, I think uh, you put your finger on most of it is that it's a uh, a herd phenomenon. But then many people are actually benefiting financially, too. You yes. know, if you make windmills, you're, you're making a lot of money. Doing sustainable growth, you're making a lot of money. You know, typically the people who do this uh, have, for example, my university is building lots of sustainable stuff, but we we're tax-free organization, so we spend money like water that the average person doesn't have. <laughs> so it's a little bit like Marie Antoinette, you know, the, the yes. people have no bread. Let them eat cake, you know, let them yeah. have sustainable energy, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, All right, well, I, I so don't know why they, why, why do they do this? You know, the same thing happened in the Crusades, you know, which uh, uh, started a lot of the ugliness that's still there in the Middle East. Uh, you know, everybody wanted to go on a crusade and uh, save the true cross. That wasn't really why they were going on the crusades. It was because of politics at home. It was the hope of, uh, you know, stealing a lot of money, you know, from the uh, Eastern Mediterranean or, or for Byzantium, you know. It, so these movements are, are simply covers for the uh, inherent evil of mankind. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's it's just incredible how they, you know, browbeat them and they all just no one wants to no one wants to stand up. That's why someone like a Donald Trump, someone like a Bolsonaro in Brazil, they truly are a very rare breed, at least to rise to that level of power that you just don't see that very often. Uh, and that's, you know, that's why I think they were so threatened. They're both threatened with jail, of course, <laughs> mm -hmm. not just for their climate descent, but just because sure. they go against the establishment at oh. this summit. The, the basic agreement then at this UN climate summit was they've struck a deal to end fossil fuels. This is the beginning of the end. They wanted to have an exact wording of phase out fossil fuels, but they ended up agreeing to the compromise was to, to we're going to agree to the beginning of the end of fossil fuels. And, and 190 nations signed on this, including the US, Europe, everyone else. 80% of our energy comes from fossil fuels. How do we phase out fossil fuels? Is this I mean, what is your take on this? How do, how do otherwise sane individuals or seemingly sane come out and make these statements? There, my answer before you before I let you respond is 
they actually have this utopian vision that within 10 years or less, electric cars, solar and wind, technolo technological breakthroughs are just going to solve everything and we're going to be able to go forward. Is that realistic? Are we just, you know, solar and wind skeptics? Are they going to actually take over somehow? Like there's some huge technological breakthrough that we're not aware of? How do they otherwise call for an elimination of fossil fuels on the planet? Well, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm a lot better at solving differential equations, you know, and calibrating <laughs> instruments and understanding why people do things. <laughs> but, you know, we've done things like this before. For example, in 1919, our country, America, passed the Prohibition Amendment, and people pointed out, you know, this is not likely to work. There are going to be a lot of problems with it, and uh, yeah. indeed. There were, and uh, it's the only amendment we ever repealed, but it took 15 years, in which time it did an enormous amount of damage. So I think it'll be a little bit like the Prohibition era in the United States. There will be enormous uh, fraud and crime and, and getting around, and, and then it'll be abandoned. But, you know, it, it really is the beginning of the end of fossil fuels today because we will eventually use them up. We're talking about centuries, you know, not decades. And so, you know, as a species, if, you know, I sometimes uh, uh, despair at, at our name, Homo sapiens, the wise man, you know, most of the time we don't <laughs> act very wisely. <laughs> But at some point, we will have to replace fossil fuels. So I really admire people who seriously are trying to think of replacements. Right. But there's plenty of time to do that. You know, we're talking about centuries and uh, we should use yes. fossil fuels while they're available. I always say I'm not against solar and wind, even though with all the problems, because you don't want to ever be against a technology that could come up with some advancement one right. day. But you're against right. the, the banning energy that works and mandating energy that's not ready to replace it. Exactly. Okay, I guess. Yeah. This is the final topic here. This may have been a little bit different interview because I'm not using your, I'm not getting you on the, your, your, the hard science in this, but 200 health journals, and this includes the British Medical Journal, and this is a follow-up to Harvard University School of Medicine, which said unchecked climate change leads to more COVID-like viruses. Well, right before this COP28 UN climate summit, 200 health journals called on the UN and the World Health Organization to recognize climate change as a global health emergency. And they're basically saying that it, that that the the climate change and, and biodiversity loss are one indivisible crisis which must be tackled together to preserve health and avoid catastrophe. And the gist of this is is that climate change, I guess, through heating up, we're going to have more malaria, we're going to have more mutations. Anthony Fauci from the uh, from NIH, who now retired, has pushed this same theory in multiple comments that unchecked climate change is going to lead to more viruses and it's a public health threat. What, first of all, what is your view on that? Is climate change a health threat? The World Health Organization has already declared it the existential threat. Uh, is climate change going to make viruses worse, malaria worse, uh, uh, and a whole host of health problems worse? No, Mark, of course, it, it's nonsense. <laughs> I mean, it's the usual hypocritical virtue signaling that our species is uh, prone to. And, uh, you know, during the American Revolution, um, you know, the, one of the big expenditures of Congress, you were part of Congress at one time, and, uh, you know, it was for quinine because uh, the troops all, were all getting malaria. And, uh, you know, it was actually colder back then. And so, 
you know, the things that really uh, affect disease have nothing to do with temperature. It's uh, what are the vectors, what transmits the disease. Uh, yeah, uh, so we're, we're, dis we're uh, distracting our efforts from things that would really help health uh, to w waste time, waste money on this non-existent threat from climate. Climate, okay. as you as we've discussed, nothing unusual is happening to climate. It's doing just the same <laughs> thing it has always done. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, the last question, I guess, is on meat. Bill Gates, America's number one farmland owner. Surprisingly, Jeff Bezos, another billionaire, is close behind him, gobbling up U.S. farmland. China is also one of the big buyers of U.S. farmland, one of the largest yeah. single owners as well. One of the Bill Gates stated goals is get everyone to eat fake meat. And you have billionaire Richard Branson, another billionaire, along with Bill Gates, investing in what's known as lab-grown meat. It's meat with stem cells from a cow, calf, pig, mixed with fetal blood, put into a Petri dish, then put into a steel vat. Then, you know, there's no eye, no brain, no bone structure, but it's a sort of amorphous you know, blob growing in this vat. And then it's done in food coloring additives and it's put into a 3D printer and printed up. And this is what they're calling lab grown meat. Right. It's already been approved for human consumption now in the right. US, at least the chicken has. But the whole goal of this is because of methane, cows birching, belching and, and uh, emitting on the other end. How dangerous is methane? Why is the UN, why is John Kerry, why is Australia, why is the Netherlands all targeting methane as this gas that's going to destroy the planet? And why we, why now in the year 2023, we've need animal agriculture for thousands of years, why suddenly the earth can't handle methane? How bad is methane and should we be worried about it? Well, Mark, of course, this is more nonsense and it's being pushed because it gives bureaucrats a chance to regulate something and feel important and boss people around. But it will make no difference to the climate. As you say, methane has been belched out by uh, ruminants uh, since the world began, or at least since ruminants have been around for, you know, 50 million years. And, uh, you know, are they going to kill all the millions of ruminants, the wildebeest in, in the African plains, well, you know, they emit a lot of uh, methane and maybe we should get them. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. very. We're out of time right now, but thank you so much, Dr. Happer, Dr. Will Happer, CO2 Coalition and Princeton Physicist. Thank you for joining. This is Unleashed with Mark Morano. See you next time on TNT.